Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Happy Easter, everyone. It's great to be able to celebrate with you through technology, uh, through our social distancing, uh, but I know that no matter what physical barriers are placed uh, before us, uh, nothing can separate our hearts and our spirits from gathering together with two-thirds of the world's population today to celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. I also want to welcome those of you who maybe don't attend church much. Maybe you're skeptical about Christianity. We welcome you here today. We're really, really excited that you've tuned in. And, and uh, I'm excited that you've tuned in because we're going to talk uh, about what's the big deal about this Easter Sunday? Why, why is this so important to we as believers in Jesus Christ? And, and why do we believe passionately that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He affects our world today, especially the way the world is going right now in the midst of this crisis? Where is God? Does He have a plan? Does He have a purpose? Well, we're going to talk all about that. But Easter to me um, reminds me of one word, and that's anticipation. Um, I know as kids growing up, we always anticipated the Easter Bunny coming on Sunday and being able to bring us lots of candy. Um, but a lot of us have anticipations uh, that excite us. Um, and Easter weekend is definitely one of those weekends. I was reminded of a trip that I took with my family uh, this past summer. Uh, you see, my wife had told me about uh, Carlsbad Caverns. And in Carlsbad Caverns, uh, they have something very special that happens every evening around sunset. You see, they have thousands, not, not just thousands, hundreds of thousands of bats that live in one of the main caves in Carlsbad Caverns. And my wife said, you know, Terry, you're speaking out there. What if we took a trip as a family after you're done speaking? We, we only have a couple of days, so we have to travel six hours and drive all the way down there to make it for sunset so that we can rush over there and we can see all these bats. Well, I was excited. I mean, hundreds of thousands of bats flying over our heads. Who wouldn't be excited? Um, I guess if you don't like bats, you might not be, but we were really excited. So we went ahead and, and I got done speaking all day. We packed the car up and we started out. Well, you know, in your mind, six hours of traveling on a highway is no big deal. But let me tell you, by about hour four or five, we were tired. But I, I, the anticipation was just getting to me. It was killing me. I couldn't wait to get there. So we pull in. We're exhausted. But we tell the family, all right, everybody in the car. And we rush over to Carlsbad Caverns. And we fly through the, the canyon. And we park our car. And as we park our car, I, I look at Connor and I look at Jennifer. I said, hurry up, hurry up. We're going to miss it. And we rush there, and it's about, you know, 6 o'clock, I think, is when the sun was about to set. And so at about 5.55, we're running down this path, trying to get to this amphitheater that is there, looking at the cave, and we finally make it. Now, you have to be really quiet. And so we walk up, and we find seats, and as we sit down, I'm just sitting there. And I'm like a kid in a candy store. It's like Easter weekend. I can't wait to see this. And so everybody's quiet, and we're sitting and waiting. And we're waiting. And about 10 minutes pass by and nothing. And another 10 minutes. The sun now has, has drifted below, and it's twilight. And I'm looking at some people, and they're kind of looking and saying, well, maybe this doesn't work. And then all of a sudden, one bat flies out of the cave. And we're like, oh! And we're sitting there. And then after five minutes, nothing. And finally, that anticipation, that excitement that I had, all of a sudden turned rapidly. You see, I expected 
many more bats. And at that moment, I saw one. And I began to think to myself, I drove six hours in a car. I ran through a parking lot. I got into arguments because I was rushing my family to get into this amphitheater to see these bats. And there's one stinking bat. My whole attitude had shifted because my anticipation changed rapidly to expectation. And when that happened, I was disappointed. And so I looked at my family, I was like, well, you know what, let's just go. I'm tired, we're tired. And we're like, no, we rushed all this, wait, wait, just a little bit longer. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these hundreds of thousands of bats came out of the cave. In fact, I want you to take a look at the screen now and you will see an actual live video recording of these bats. Take a look. And there we are sitting and you see the swarm and look at that. Hundreds of thousands of bats for at least 20 minutes came flying out of that cave. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing. Now, I will tell you, once that was over, we walked to the car. We were exhausted. But my wife, Jennifer, looked and said, see, I told you it was going to be great. And your attitude turned sour. But I wanted to share this one statement that I mentioned about anticipation and expectation. So take a look at the screen. When your expectation exceeds your anticipation, disappointment will soon follow. When my anticipation waned and when my expectation exceeded my anticipation, disappointment followed. And I think for some of us in the midst of this crisis, there's a lot of anticipations and there's a lot of expectations. Maybe as you've gone into Easter, rather than anticipating and being excited about this Easter Sunday, maybe you've gotten like I have sometime, where you said, it's not the same. We can't travel. We can't see our family and friends. I know many of you right now are at home and you are separated from families. You have traditions where you gather together. Maybe you fly in and family all over the country comes together. And maybe this Easter Sunday, you're disappointed because your expectations have not been met. Well, I pray today, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not, I pray that today's message will encourage you because our God is still the same, that Jesus Christ is still the same, that this Easter Sunday, though it's different, has just as much passion, excitement, and anticipation as any other Easter. It's just up to us to make sure that we are seeing the most important aspects of this holiday because I truly believe we can anticipate today to be one of the best Easter's ever in our lives. Now, in order to set this up, I, I wanna be able to take you on a journey. Because in order to truly appreciate Easter, for those of you maybe who aren't Christians, in order for you to truly appreciate what is happening, we have to go back to the beginning. And I wanna share some symbolisms that point all the way to today. And it's pretty amazing. I'm sorry, I'm a history geek. I geek out on this stuff, but I want you to hang with me because I want, to set up for you this picture of what Easter truly represents. We're going to start at a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. And this passage describes where God rested, that our relationship with God. He loved his people and he loved his creation so much that he went up and he set up a room, a place where he would reside so that he could be with his people. And it had to be set up in a very, very important and strategic way. And we're going to explain that. So I want you, if you have a Bible home, you can tune to this or you can tune into the screen. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. Let's take a look. It says, there were two rooms 
in that tabernacle. In the first room were, was a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. So you have a room, and we have a table. And right here in front of me, I have a table, and, and, and I have a couple of different items that are on the table. And it represented loaves of bread, and it represented a lampstand. Now, let me explain both of these to you. First off, let me share about this bread. This was called showbread. And this showbread has a lot of symbolism. Josephus Flavus, who was an amazing, um, uh, amazing theologian, someone who taught us so much about Jewish history, he was Jewish, he shared that the showbread represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And every week, the priests would come in and they would place fresh showbread stacked in two stacks, six loaves, and they looked much like this here right now. Now you might say, well, Terry, why 12? Well, the 12 represented God's people, 12 tribes of Israel. It also, Josephus Flavius would tell us that this room, the tabernacle, that it was a picture of heaven. God's presence rested in this room. It was set up perfectly. And because it was set up, there's a lot of symbolism of what heaven might look like. And so these 12 loaves of bread represented the 12 tribes of Israel. It also represented God's creation. It represented 12 months of the year. It represented 12 hours of sunlight, 12 hours of darkness, representing that God created the earth and everything in it. The showbread is the bread of presence. Now, in the Hebrew, it talks about God's face. And I don't, want you to, I don't want you to miss this. If you're not a Christian, you should love this. It's as if this bread represented God's people, but you could see God's face in God's people. And here's what that represented, that we mirror God's image. Do you know that whether you believe in God or not, that you were created in his likeness? You were created in his image? And way back when God created this room, he wanted to symbolize that point, that all of his people mirror his image. Now, as we talk about that image, in that same room was this lampstand. And the rule was this lampstand was never to be put out. It was to be continually burning at all times. Why? Because it represented God's presence, the light of God. And that light of God was to show, be shown over, in and through his people. Now, here's the most important part. That we have a purpose in life. If you don't believe in God, do you know you were created for a purpose? And your purpose was to have relationship with our God. And that because of all who he is, and because you mirror his, his image, that you are to work, allow God to work in and through you to be able to accomplish the purpose that he has set before you, which is to glorify who God is. And as you glorify God, you will be blessed. You know, right now in this time, you might be miserable, you might be tired. Did you know that if you accomplish God's purpose, that you will be blessed by the hand of God because God's desire is for his people to be under his light, to be able to do his work. Let me illustrate this one other way. My son Connor, he's 12 years old. I've watched him play baseball all of his life. And when he gets onto the baseball field, his mother and I, we sit in the stands, we sit where the parents sit and we watched the field of play. And I spent countless hours with my son teaching my son how to play baseball. And so as my, my son gets up to the plate, and as he 
hits the ball and he runs the first base and he succeeds, what's the first thing that he does? He turns and he looks to his father. And he says, Dad, I did it. I accomplished the purpose. You worked with me. You taught me. And I succeeded on the field of play. And here's the great thing about it. My son was proud. My son was excited. My son looked for my favor. And he loved pleasing his father. And the joy that was in my heart watching my son accomplish the purpose that he set out for was incredible. And that's the picture in the tabernacle. That room, that picture of eternity, that picture of heaven, it is pure perfection. And that's what God wanted here on this earth. But as you and I know, sin entered the world and changed this picture forever. And we live in a sin-filled world. We live in a world of disease. We live in a world where we have to shelter in place. We live in a world where, where it's difficult. There's sadness. There's depression. It's far different than this picture. And that's why God in His infinite wisdom, thousands of years ago, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to fix it. You see, because the truth is, is that once sin entered the world, we were separated from God. And that separation could not allow us to accomplish this perfect picture. And so God had to fix it. And so he sent Jesus Christ, his son, perfection, to live on this earth. And as Jesus Christ lived, he healed. And he taught us about a relationship with God that was not about a list of rules and a list of do's and don'ts. don'ts. It was about a pure relationship the way that God intended. It was about purpose of life, to be able to glorify our Father, to be able to mirror his image. And I love what Jesus said in John 8, 12, and I want you to see this. He once was talking to a group of people and he said this. Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I like to say that if you follow his light, that you will remember and accomplish your purpose of why you're here. Do you know what light he was referring to? He was drawing us all the way back to where God's presence was, the presence of God, the lampstand. And Jesus said, do you know that lampstand? Do you know how we've been separated? Do you know how that lampstand doesn't, doesn't really have that purpose anymore? I am the new lampstand. I am the light of the world. You are my people, and the light is right before you, and I love my people. It was beautiful. It was amazing picture, but it goes on from there. Do you know what Jesus also said? Later on, he was feeding a bunch of people, and he, he went across the Sea of Galilee. He gets to the other side, and the people are like, we're hungry, we're hungry, we want more food. And watch what Jesus says to the people. Take a look. He says, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Do you understand what Jesus was talking about? He was referring to the showbread, the bread of presence. And what he was saying is this, that if you are a part of me, if you are a part of that bread of life, do you remember I told you that the priests would come in 
and they would replace the bread once a week. Well, here, watch this. Not only would the priests, when they would every week replace the bread, not only would they do that, but the priests would consume the bread before they replaced it with new bread. And it was a great picture of God's sustaining us. And that's what Jesus was telling them, that you can eat every single day because you live in this sin-filled world. You will always be hungry and always be thirsty again. But if you fulfill the purpose that I have placed you here for, if you have a relationship with me like in that tabernacle, that you will never be hungry and never be thirsty again. You see, there was something special about Jesus. Jesus came to this world because he wanted to restore the relationship that God had set, the picture of eternity that God had set long before. Jesus came to restore that place. Now, do you know, during the times of Jesus, we celebrate right now, Easter. And when we think of Easter, we think of the time period where Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem, where the religious leaders falsely accused him, where the religious leaders, they asked him, are you the son of God? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, I am who you say I am. They beat him. They moved him across the city in the middle of the night to Pontius Pilate's house. And in Pilate's house, Pilate didn't want to arrest Jesus. He couldn't find no fault with Jesus and he tried to release him, but the religious leaders would have none of it because the religious leaders were threatened. The religious leaders wanted power. The religious leaders wanted a better life today. They didn't want the bread of life. They wanted a better life. And so Pontius Pilate had Jesus flogged, and then Jesus had to carry his own cross to a place where he would be sacrificed for you and I. You see, Jesus came because during that time in the temple, there was a curtain that separated man from the area, the holy place, the picture of heaven. There was a strong curtain and no one could go into that place but the lead priest. And so Jesus came because he no longer wanted this to be a separation. Jesus came because he wanted us to understand our purpose. Jesus came because he wanted to give us eternal life, not just a better life. And so Jesus carries his own cross. They nail his hands and his feet into this cross. They raise him there. And we pick up the story as Jesus is struggling with every inch of his body on this cross in Luke chapter 22. Follow along with me. By this time, it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Now the disciples are around. The people are around. The religious leaders are around. And they're looking at Jesus. And Jesus said he was the son of God. And Jesus said he came for a purpose. And Jesus said that, that he would beat death. And everybody was standing at that cross and looking at Jesus. And they were wondering, what now? And I have to imagine if I was there 
and if I was following Jesus, that my heart would break when I would see him breathe his last breath. But I got to be honest, I would have anticipation. Because in that moment, I can imagine the disciples sitting there and looking at the cross and hearing the religious leader saying he got what he deserved. Hearing the Romans saying, well, I guess he's not God at all, is he? And if I was the disciples, I would be sitting there and I'd be looking at that cross and I'd say, all right, anytime, Jesus. Jesus, you said that you were coming. You said that you were going to restore eternity. You said that you gave us purpose, that we had purpose. You said that we mirrored God's image. You said that this was a part of a bigger plan. All right, now. And I have to admit, while there was sadness, the disciples had to have some anticipation, like, okay, any minute now, Jesus is going to jump off that cross. Any minute now, we're going to see God come down, lightning, thunder, crashing, something's going to happen. We're going to see the religious leaders run. We are going to end up winning. But nothing happened. And I have to imagine the disciples sat there and they waited and they waited. And they watched their Savior on a cross, embarrassed. The Savior of the world, God in flesh, like a petty criminal and thief hanging on a cross. I can imagine the Romans and I can imagine the religious leaders turning their backs and walking off and saying, glad that's over. We can come back to normal. And I have to imagine that the disciples that that moment, their anticipation started to slip beneath expectation. Scripture tells us that a man by the name of Joseph came to take Jesus off the cross. So let's take a look at that scripture right now. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and the actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and he wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and he laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by law. The disciples see Jesus placed in a tomb. They've waited. And now disappointment comes. You know, I have to be honest with you. As you hear this story being told, Maybe some of you who are skeptical about Christianity, maybe this is the reason why you don't necessarily believe in Jesus much. You see, I don't, I don't have a doubt that many of us know that Jesus Christ walked the earth. In fact, um, those, those of you that maybe are Jewish or maybe have Jewish friends, they believe and they know because there's evidence, there's archaeological evidence that Jesus Christ walked the earth. So there's no doubt that Jesus Christ was here on earth. The only doubt rests in whether he was the Son of God. And I have to imagine many of you, you have those same thoughts today. You see, I think there's a lot of us on this Easter Sunday that we, if we're honest, we would say we're not fulfilling God's purpose in our life. In fact, I think some of us would say, Terry, I'll be honest, I don't even know what God's purpose is for my life. That's okay. 
And because of the story I just told, because he was placed in a tomb, that's where your faith stops. And I got to be honest, the disciples at that moment, they didn't hang around the tomb. They didn't stay there like I did in front of a bat cave, sitting there and hoping and waiting and anticipating and just holding out. No, they left and they scattered. The dream was over. They were left crushed by their expectations. Their anticipations were gone. And I know many of you are sitting there saying, well, Terry, like the disciples, why did he have to wait three days? If it's true that he did rise, well then, why were they able to take his dead body off a cross? Why were they able to put it in a tomb? If he was truly the Son of God, why not in the midst of him dying, why didn't everything change? Why didn't he rise right there? Why didn't he show himself to be an incredible God in front of everybody? He already died. He already beat death. Why didn't he do this? Well, you see, the truth is many of us would have those anticipations. In fact, some of us, we have thoughts in our own life, anticipations. And these are some of the things that I would say. Is this necessary? God isn't necessary. Why are we going through this? Can't we just skip this pain? Can't we just skip the process and get to the other side? The anticipation is killing me. And I have to believe the disciples were doing that. And I have to believe in our life, in moments in our life, those type of anticipations happen. And the disciples, when their expectations started exceeding the anticipation, here were some of the things that they said. I didn't expect it to happen like this. Why did you have to go, Jesus? Why did you just let them win? This isn't fair. They don't deserve this. I look like a fool. We can't show our faces in Jerusalem ever again. I can't show my face to my family ever again. My life is ruined. And I have to believe there are many of you that maybe grew up in church and because you had strong faith then, or maybe God let you down in your mind and your thoughts that you have these same expectations. You know what, God? I believed and I anticipated something was going to happen and it didn't. And because of that, I was disappointed. I felt like a fool. I can never show myself to my friends, my family. And so, you know what, God? This Easter, I'm not really sure if you're real. But do you know that God has a plan in the midst of the waiting? Do you know that there is a purpose for anticipation? Do you know that there's a lesson with regards to our expectations in life? Going back to that time period, why did Jesus wait a couple of days? Really, in the third day, he rose in the morning. But why did he rise from the dead? Well, the first, I would say this, was for proof. You have to understand though something. I'm going to introduce you to a word. This is called smira. And smira is the soul hovering over the body, thoughts, deeds, experience. Did you know that Jewish culture and belief is this, that when a Jewish person dies and they're placed within a tomb, that the soul of the body hovers over the body itself. And they actually, from a cultural standpoint, they would say that while, yes, physically the body is dead, the dying process is still a process. And so Jesus Christ had he in the moment when they placed him in the tomb on that first night, had he risen from the dead that first night, the religious leaders, the Romans would have looked and they would have said, well, he wasn't really dead. And because that was a Jewish cultural belief. So Jesus couldn't have risen the first day. There's a second reason why there was a waiting period. And it's for this. It was also Passover. Now, Passover is a process. 
In Passover, there was a sacrificial lamb, and Jesus was known as the Lamb of God. A sacrificial lamb would be sacrificed. But it was a process. When you celebrated Passover, that as a family, you would celebrate You would have a meal together. And the purpose for Passover, obviously, was symbolic to the Old Testament. I don't have time to explain that today. But the Passover was symbolic for the family. And it was meant to repurpose the hearts and refocus the minds on what truly was most important. And that was our relationship with an incredible God. Pointing all the way back to the tabernacle. That our relationship with God is primary and we have a purpose in life. And so that... Night was the beginning of Passover. And it was really important for the people, the Jewish people, to be able to focus and understand the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. So he wasn't going to rise from the dead really quick. It was meant for us to focus on the true sacrifice he gave. And the third reason why we had to wait three days for Jesus to rise to anticipate is called purpose. And you see Shabbat, you see rest. Now lean in here and let me explain this for just a second. You know, God in his infinite wisdom, he created the heavens and he created the earth. And we see a picture of heaven. We see a picture of God's presence. We see a picture of his people. We see a picture of us fulfilling our purpose. We see a picture of us mirroring God's image. And that's what the bread represented. And when God created the heavens and earth, on the seventh day, it says that God rested. Now, during the Old Testament times, the Levitical priest, to be able to celebrate rest, it was called Shabbat, Passover, which we just talked about. And on the Passover, the Levitical priest, they would go into the temple, and here's what they would do. They would take the bread, and they would consume the bread. Let me tell you why. They would consume the bread because it represented sustenance. It was a picture of God's people resting and thinking of the things of God, how grateful we are for all that God has done in and through us that week. You see, we anticipate God working through us, and he does because he's faithful. And on that seventh day, we rest. And the Levitical priests, they consume the bread. But here's the picture that I love. The Levitical priests would then have to replace the bread. And on the first day of the new week, the Levitical priests would take the new bread and put it under God's Beautiful light and lampstand representing new life. Do you know why I anticipate Easter Sunday? It's because when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he was the light of the world. He was the bread of life. He was pointing us to eternity throughout his whole life. And when Jesus Christ breathed his last breath, when darkness fell, when God the Father turned his back and the sin of the world came on Jesus' back and when he breathed his last breath, it says the veil of the curtain of the temple, the tabernacle was torn and separated. Do you know what that means? It meant that no longer are we separated from eternity. That because of Jesus Christ dying and beating death, everyone has the opportunity to be able to have eternal life through the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. We can have new life today. There is no greater time than on Easter Sunday for you to recognize that what Jesus did today was to give you an opportunity to have life abundantly and eternally 
with Jesus. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I want you to read this Scripture. And here it is right here. If you openly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will receive that free gift. You will spend eternity with our Heavenly Father. And you will be a part of the picture of God. You will mirror His image. You'll fulfill your purpose. You will be in God's presence. There will be no pain, no disease. While right now, yes, around and outside, there's disease, there's fear, there's depression. Right now, I want to point you back to the Savior who died on a cross to give you that gift. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're a different denomination, it doesn't matter. He died and he offers this gift to all, all who call on his name and believe in their heart that he's the son of God and God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You know, I anticipate, I anticipate the day that I will be with my heavenly father. And because I anticipate, there is joy in my heart. You know, in Jesus Christ, when he rose on that third day, and he did, it tells us in the Gospels, the writers tell us that he met his disciples on a road. And you know, if I was Jesus, I would have come and, and I'll be honest, I would have said, ha, I told you. Ha, you ran, you scattered, you doubted. I did it. You have life abundantly because I told you it was true. That would have been me, but not Jesus. Do you know what Jesus said to him? He said a Hebrew word, word that is salom. And salom represents peace. It was as if Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you've gone through disappointment. You've gone through fear. You've doubted. Do you want a life of peace? Right now, let me ask you a question at home. Do you want peace in your life? If you're struggling right now, if you're struggling with finances, you're struggling with fear, you're struggling with your family, if you don't know how long you can hold on, if you're struggling in your family right now as a parent, if you have the weight of the world on your shoulders, let me ask you a question. Do you want peace that this Easter can bring? then Jesus Christ is the answer. He always is the answer. And today, you can have joy. Joy of heart. Jesus Christ doesn't just meet our expectations. He exceeds them. And when your anticipation exceeds your expectation, peace and joy will always follow. Don't ever forget what he did for you today. Don't ever forget what you can have or what you already have in Jesus Christ. And because of that, you can have joy in the midst of sorrow. You can have the peace that Jesus Christ offered the disciples on that road and offer you today. I pray that this Easter Sunday, you will grab hold of eternity, the picture that God presented long ago and that you will never, never forget the joy that you can have because of today. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, I I thank you so much. I thank you this Easter Sunday that, um, God, you had eternity on your mind from the beginning of time. And God, every single person watching right now, we have a purpose. And that purpose, Father, is to fulfill your purpose, to allow you to work in and through us, God. And like a little boy running the bases on a baseball field, turning and looking into the stands, you want us in our lives to be able to work through your power to accomplish your mission. And when we succeed, we turn around, we look at our Father, and we see your smile. We see and sense your pleasure because of it, God. And that's a picture of eternity, that when we go to heaven, God, we will be in your presence and we will sense your pleasure. And God, thank you that you sent Jesus and that this Easter, because of Jesus, there is no more separation, that we will be in eternity and that we will celebrate you and we will fulfill our purpose. So God, right now, I pray for the individuals that maybe don't have a relationship with you today. And right now, if you're praying and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's as simple as that scripture that I told you. And I just encourage you in the privacy of your heart, if you want to pray this prayer, I encourage you to pray this right now. And it goes like this, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have not been living for the purpose that I was intended to live for. And so God, right now, I want to say I'm sorry. And God, I believe what Pastor Terry said, and I, and I hope and I anticipate that what he said is true. And, and Lord, if that is true, Father, I, I take a step of faith and I believe it today. And I confess that you are Lord. You are the Christ of Easter. You rose from the dead and you are the Savior of the world. And I want you as Lord of my life. And God, because I want you as Lord of my life, I will be a part of that picture of eternity. And I will be in eternity with you along with other brothers and sisters. And this will be the best Easter ever in my life. Thank you, God, so much for what you're doing. And thank you, Lord, for this Easter Sunday. And we love you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer at home, whether you're a small child, whether you're a teenager, whether you're an adult, or whether you're of the wiser generation, I celebrate this Easter Sunday with you. In fact, I want to ask you to do this. I want you to either comment in the comment section that today is the day that you made Jesus the Lord of Easter. I want you to comment and let everybody know. Or you can email us at office at ovvc.org. We'd love to connect with you and help you on this journey. One last thing before we go today. I think today is a great opportunity to talk about what God's done in our lives today. And so I'm going to ask you as family and as friends to be able to gather and to be able to, to discuss these three questions. And take a look at the screen. First, What do you believe Jesus can do for you and your family during this crisis? Second, what are some of the benefits in the waiting? How can you use this time to reconnect with God's presence? And last but not least, what new routines are you going to continue when this crisis is over? Ask God to give you the strength and the courage to be committed to those rhythms. Don't allow Easter to be the only day you fulfill God's purpose in your life. God bless you. Happy Easter. And may you have joy because of the anticipation of who God is and what's yet to come. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.